Welcome to Freeman on Real Estate, the podcast about the hard facts behind what's going on in real estate. Realtor Mike Freeman of Coldwell Banker, who holds an MBA in finance, draws from his financial background and deep network to bring the most value for anyone looking to buy, sell, rent, or invest. Welcome back to Freeman on Real Estate. It is the podcast featuring Realtor Mike Freeman, Realtor extraordinaire. Mike Freeman, you just got promoted. Mike, wow. congratulations. Thank you. Glad you're back here in the studio post-Thanksgiving, pre-Christmas, pre-Hanukkah, pre-whatever. Everything good in, y- in your world? Yeah, everything's going great. How are you, Dave? <clears throat> I'm a shell of a man, Mike. And, uh, <laughs> my, the, the weight of the world has finally crushed my spirit. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm happy. And I'm happy that you've continued this tradition of bringing a guest onto the podcast because they've been terrific so far. Even Mark Filipkowski got some strong reviews. Did you get any good feedback? I got some good feedback, and I would have to say that is surprising. (laughs) No, I got some good, yeah, got some really good reviews. People like the sports talk. So, yeah, it was was, uh, was fun to do that. It's a good respite. You have a professional in the studio today. Please do introduce your guest, Mike. Yeah, so today I have real estate attorney, I'll use your word, extraordinaire, Samuel Reef. I've worked with Sam extensively over the years. He does an outstanding job for my clients. So today my guest, Sam Reef. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm happy for the promotion that you gave me. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So so we have we talked about a couple of topics, and one thing that Sam and I wanted to talk about today is an offer to purchase, which I'm usually filling out on my own for a client and then submitting to another realtor or if I'm the listing agent, they're submitted to me versus a week, 10 days later when Sam is typically involved and he would be writing the purchase and sale. So Massachusetts is one of, I don't know how many states, Sam, I don't know of any other states that have two contracts. Most states have one, right? That's correct. So we have two here in Massachusetts. So I wanted to talk to Sam about the difference between the two, and then also some pitfalls that he has seen, especially lately, when an offer gets to him and he's being asked to write a purchase and sale. So do you want to maybe take the audience through briefly how you see the, the two contracts and their purposes? Yes, thank you. So the initial offer to contract, offer to purchase, is a legally binding contract in Massachusetts. And that's an important factor because a lot of buyers don't realize that when they're signing this form. This, as you said, is a generated form that's usually generated by the realtor. And I have to say that not all realtors I've dealt with are as careful as you are in negotiating that. And as a side note, I know that because not only have we done deals together, but I've used you personally in purchasing property, so I know how careful you are in drafting these documents. But not all realtors are. And once you sign this contract, you're stuck with the dates that are put on it, and not a lot of buyers realize that. So then when we, uh, as you said, a week to 10 days later, go towards drafting the next document, which is called the Purchase and Sale Agreement, the attorney that's drafting that is stuck with the dates that are listed on the initial offer to purchase contract. And not a lot of buyers realize that. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. And what, what buyers should realize is that they have the right and perhaps more than should have an attorney review the offer because it's almost never done. And I tell people if 
I'll tell people you you absolutely have the right to do that. And some people who some of the buyers and sometimes the sellers will say, I really want to have an attorney review it first. And I'll say you absolutely have the right to do that. And you probably greatly appreciate that because then you're not going to be surprised when you get an offer to purchase and have something that looks impossible to you. Like, like how many times have you, have you received an offer to purchase and the turnaround time is so quick that nobody's even talked to you about how much you have on your plate and you're like, how am I going to do this? Right. That must happen all the time. All the time. And you asked for one of, for some of the pit, pitfalls in this. And that is one of the major pitfalls because if you sign an offer to purchase contract, and you have a PNS date that's a week out and then a closing that's three weeks out, that puts tremendous pressure on the closing attorney to get everything done in time. And there's a lot that gets involved in getting a file ready for closing. And three weeks out is next to impossible to get it. It can be done, but it's, it's very, very hard. And never mind that it's going to be really hard for you and it's going to be really hard for me, but... We haven't even discussed the loan officer. If there's going to be a mortgage, sometimes you'll have a situation where, so if I represent a seller, if I'm a listing agent and I get an offer and I see this is a really quick turnaround, I need to make sure that I'm looping in the mortgage loan officer and that he or she is going to be able to make those dates because sometimes I've made that call and they say, wait, what are the dates? (laughs) What's the mortgage commitment day? I don't know if I can do that. No, 30 days from the purchase and sale, not from today. And so you have to be really thorough and make sure that everyone who's involved in the transaction is aware of the dates. And I I think it would really help. And and I'm guilty of it. I, I can't say I can't sit here and say that I always tell my customers to talk to an attorney when we're filling out the offer to purchase. But it's probably a good practice. It, it is a good practice, and if I get a client in my office before an offer is signed, I always instruct them to let me review the offer before it's signed. And as you said, if the offer states a mortgage commitment within 30 days, that's from that date, and then you draft the PNS, and you're stuck with that date. And so when that date comes and you don't have your mortgage commitment, you're in a bind where the sellers will have to agree to extend that date Otherwise, you could risk losing your deposit. And in that same wavelength, a regular mortgage may take 30 days, but if you have a buyer in an FHA situation, that's going to take a lot longer than 30 days to get an approval. Right. And and there's, because there's so many other things that are involved in that with FHA, like certain type of roof may not be acceptable with an FHA loan. I know I've come across that. You've probably seen that as well. So I think that It's interesting that in Massachusetts you have the two contracts because, like I said before, you don't have it in other states. So I don't know. Have you ever done a real estate transaction for another state? I have not. I'm only licensed in Massachusetts. Okay. So I haven't either. I'm only licensed in Massachusetts. but So I don't have the direct experience with it. But I like the way we do it because the offer to purchase has all the relevant details that, to me, need to be determined at that time. Some might argue with that. But but then the purchase and sale you need, and then you also have, typically have a buyer's rider. So so talk about that for a second, actually. So let's say we're working together and the client is the buyer. So talk for a second about how your role as the attorney for, the, for that customer is going to diff, be different if you represent the buyer and you have a buyer's rider versus if they're the seller. 
Sure. But before I get into that, you mentioned how the offer to purchase has an, enough terms to be acceptable. And that's an important factor. And as I said, that's a legally binding contract. Yeah. And another pitfall is I've had clients with a signed offer to purchase, but for some reason or another, the purchase and sale never gets negotiated to the point where it's signed and the buyers want to then back out. I've had cases where the sellers will then sue for performance based on the signed offer to purchase. So it's it's a major pitfall of signing an offer to purchase. But more to your point, if you're if I'm representing a buyer and I'm reviewing a purchase and sale, there's always a buyer buyer's rider attached to the purchase and sale, which attaches lots of extra layers of protection for the buyer that will give them certain outs of the deal if something falls through in the in against the buyer's rider. Versus if I'm representing a seller, it's a lot easier per se in a purchase and sale transaction because the standard form purchase and sale agreement in Massachusetts is a generated form and it's very seller biased. So most of the protections in a standard form purchase and sale is already geared towards protecting a seller and not a buyer. Right. And that's exactly why you need the buyer's rider. So how often do you find that, like I would assume that at this point, most of the time you're familiar with the attorney on the other side, you've worked with them or you know them, right? So how often do you, are you in situations where you have a standard buyer's rider that you use to protect your clients, right? How often do you find the attorney on the other side sees it and wants to strike multiple paragraphs? Like there's always going to be some back and forth, but how often do you find that it, it becomes a little more than you expected? I've been practicing real estate law for 30 years and there's a good chunk of attorneys that are, have done the same. So when you come across an attorney like that, there's not a lot of back and forth because most conveyancing attorneys know what should be in and what should be out. There will be a, a, a couple negotiation tactics where they'll try to strike something and they know they shouldn't. And then I'll respond saying, no, that needs to be in. And they'll acknowledge that. But if you're dealing with a newer attorney that doesn't have the years of practice, then there can be days and weeks of going back and forth on negotiating certain paragraphs of the purchase and sale. Right. That's not something I want to see. <laughs> That's not something anybody wants no, to see. No, I like to see a nice, nice, quick, easy transaction. And so, you know, you and I know, but just for the audience, one of the major differences or one of the major things that happens between when the offer is written and when you're – if so if you're representing the seller, you're drafting the purchase and sale. But one of the, one of the most important things that's happening during that time is you have the inspection – and whatever's negotiated on the inspection is going to go into the purchase and sale. So talk a little bit about your role in that, because it's really important sometimes that it, sometimes it's out of my hands. And I really want I really rely on the attorney to resolve whatever issues there are. So can you talk for a minute about how you see your role as the negotiations sometimes happen with an inspection? Absolutely. So the important aspect involved in that is. You start negotiations with the seller's attorney, and when you start negotiations, you really want to cement the legalese, the legal language of the purchase and sale. And what you do, and it's important while you're waiting for an inspection, is to always state to the seller's attorney that it's subject to reservations or changes uh, from uh, right. your, your client, the buyers. So th the important aspect is to uh, have negotiations on the legal language 
and then uh, make it subject to reservation. So then once the inspection is done, if there's a list of things that the buyers aren't happy with, then you can add that into the buyer's rider that we spoke about before. So how often do you find yourself in a situation where the realtor is the realtor says to you, Sam, I've been I've been trying to work with the other realtor on on this inspection and we're negotiating all of these terms and I'm just hitting a brick wall and can you work with the other attorney to try to resolve this because it's going to end up going in a legal contract. So how often because I don't think in the deals that you and I have worked on that we've come across that. I think they've been the deals have, have worked out and I've been able to work with the other real, realtor. But sometimes we don't always have the best relationship, the real other realtor and I, or we're not able to get through things. So how often are you asked to get actively involved in trying to resolve an issue that might come out of an inspection? To be truthful, more often than not. Yeah. And as you said, in deals you and I have had together – I have found you to be hardworking, conscientious. So it hasn't been a lot in the deals you and I have done through because you do your work. But there's a lot of realtors out there that may not have their client's best interest in mind. And and frankly, they don't want to deal with the heartache of having to negotiate a hard negotiation with the other side. And they'll just throw it at me to have to deal with the other attorney. So you're typically going to, you're going to defer to let the realtors work it out if they can work it out. Like that's, that's a preference if it can happen, but if it comes to if that can't happen, then it may be elevated to you to work with the attorney and try to hash it out. But yeah. hopefully, that doesn't happen. It's always the first option to try to let the realtors work it out, but sometimes that's not possible, and then it's between the attorneys. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, and, and that's something I I try to avoid, and that's part of why you try to build a good relationship with the other side. That's what I try to do. And I've certainly seen you do that with the attorneys that have been involved in our transactions. It's, it's just really important to build that relationship. And the fact that you've been doing this for 30 years is a big part of why I know I can rely on you to take care of my customers and to get issues resolved and to have partnerships with most of these other attorneys. So that, that's just really important for most people are sitting here listening to What's important, what's important when you choose a real estate attorney, somebody who's been doing it for a while, not just because of their experience and they've seen things, but because of the relationships that they've built. So you're really valuable in that regard, too. Thank you. I appreciate it. And it is true. I think you and I have a good synergy in, in working yeah. together professionally. And it's important uh, for buyers or sellers out there when they choose an attorney to make sure that uh, the buyers and sellers have a good synergy with their attorney as well. Yeah, it, it it all needs to come together. And if you're a buyer, your loan officer, same thing. Everybody, and even if you don't know each other, there's no reason. You and I have worked on deals where we don't know the loan officer, but there's no reason why you can't develop a good relationship, bring them into the team for that transaction, and have it work out, have it work in, in everybody's best interest. It's always the best transactions where everybody uh, is connected and getting along those transactions are seamless and everything runs on time it's when you get one piece of that puzzle that's not working along the same lines where things get delayed and then there's headaches yeah i mean when um sam mentioned earlier that he used me in his personal transaction so we won't get into all the details of that but but one thing that i know you'll recall is um i won't say who it was obviously. But the realtor on the other side of that deal was challenging, right? Challenging to deal with. And so 
challenging for me. And then it was interesting because, Sam, you were the client, but you were also the attorney. And that ended up being a really challenging deal. Very challenging. And I'll say to the public, it's not such a good idea to be the client and the attorney in, in the same transaction because as an attorney, cooler heads will prevail. But as the client buyer, it's not so cool. Yeah. And and I can speak from that perspective as well. I was the client and the realtor. And guess who my attorney was? It was Sam. So, yeah, it can be uh, difficult when you're in that position. I don't know if I would do it the same way again. Yeah, I don't think I would. So, Anyway, so there you go, Dave. It's everything you need to know now about why you need an outstanding real estate attorney. So now you've got Sam. I got Sam. He is now an FOM, friend of Mike, (laughs) and part of Mike Freeman Nation and part of the podcast family. So well done, Sam. Thank you. crowd's going crazy. (laughs) And now we're excited because this is the segment of the program where we learn more about Mike and in this case, more about Sam. More about Mike. More about Mike. More about Mike. So with every episode, we choose a random and compelling question for our panel. This episode's question, if you could be a cartoon character for a week, who would you be? Let's see. Mike, would, would you like to, should the guests go first? Yeah, let's let the guests go first. All right, Sam, you're a cartoon character. Who are you? Thank you for putting me on the spot, but this is an easy one for me. As my all-time favorite cartoon character, I would choose to be, and that's Bugs Bunny. <laughs> mm. Now, tell us why. Because he's sneaky and smart and playful. <laughs> you notice all animated rabbits are sneaky, smart, and playful. Take, for example, Bugs's cousin, the Tricks Bunny. Tricks are for kids, right? Mm, true. They, they have some similarities. They really do. <laughs> they do. Yes. What did, what did you think of his performance in the Barber of Seville? It's a classic, right? It, it is a classic. Yeah. That, that's how I learned about opera from Bugs Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, that's tough to top. But if you were a cartoon character, who would you like to be? So it's funny that, that Sam said Bugs Bunny because I was thinking of Bugs Bunny, but more is my runner up. I was thinking my first choice would be the Roadrunner. Mm. But the difference between me and the Roadrunner is I'd catch that little blank. <laughs> okay. No, no, you've got it. You've got it backwards. The Roadrunner was the one running from Wiley Coyote. Oh, I meant the Coyote. You want to be the Coy- Wiley Coyote? Oh, boy. Now we're gonna redo the whole episode. No, that's okay. No, I'm joking. Because, I'm joking. Because we need to really dig deep here on the yeah, Coyote yeah. versus the Roadrunner. But yeah, go, yeah. Go ahead. Tell me. No, more. clearly I'm showing my age here, and I don't even remember which character was which. But no, I would be the the Coyote, and it always really frustrated me, even as a little kid, <laughs> that I'd be watching this. It's like, why can't he catch that thing? Yeah. I mean, obviously we know why he couldn't, but well, the part of the problem was he he relied on Acme produced um, <laughs> um, mechanisms <laughs> that, that always true. that always failed for some reason. Choose choose something other than Acme. Yeah, he would always he he always met his demise in the usually in the same way. He would go off a cliff, and then you'd you'd have the long shot, so to speak, and you'd see the little poof of dirt, he right. would, and and that was it for the coyote but you got to respect any coyote that employs his middle initial he is wild e yeah, coyote. He, yeah very and he never gave up i always That's admired true. that about him I, I try to incorporate that in my daily life you just don't give up i just don't hopefully i don't fail as much as he does no but you're right you know what that roadrunner he has it coming someday definitely sam terrific job today can you let our listeners know if they want to get in touch with you learn more about what you do what should they do 
Thank you very much. And um, it's Law Office of Samuel Reef. I'm located in Sharon Center. And you can always reach me at my office phone number, 781-784-7777. Lucky Sevens. Lucky Sevens. Do you enjoy the Angel Cafe there in Sharon Center? All the time. It's at, when Starbucks left, I was upset as a as a homegrown Sharon person that we were on the map and then we we're off the map because map because Star, Starbucks left. But Angel Cafe is great. It is. They're not a sponsor of Freeman on Real Estate, but who knows, Mike? We might reach. I got to talk to Angel. <laughs> Mike, if you would please remind our listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about your practice. Sure, absolutely. You can call me 617-759-1513. You could email me at mike.freeman at anymoves.com. And I also have a website, mikefreemanhomes.com. Freeman on Real Estate is a production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. Please follow the pod on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. And we thank you for listening to Freeman on Real Estate. <laughs>